a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies. Now tell me if this scenario sounds familiar to you. You have your baby, everything's great, things are going well for the first several days, even a couple weeks, and then your baby starts to cry, and cry, and cry, and cry, and so you try all the different swaddles, you look at all the different ways to bounce your baby, or wear your baby, or, or soothe their tummy, you go to your pediatrician and they tell you, you have a colicky baby. So that's what we're going to talk about in today's podcast. What does it mean to have a colicky baby? What are some of the misconceptions? Is it gas? Is it reflux? Is it colic? Could it be affected by gut health? And for those that have gone through this or are going through this right now, what kind of emotional psychological support do you need from having a colicky baby can really impact your whole family. So I think this is an important topic because something I learned in this conversation is that 20% of babies fit the criteria of colic. It can really color how the first several weeks to several months of new parenthood can be. So to have this conversation, I have Megan Dishman. Let me tell you a little bit about Megan. She's an emergency room nurse in Utah. And after having her baby in 2021, she was shocked by the postpartum experience with a colicky baby, and she made it her goal to provide education, support, and resources for other struggling parents of newborns. She's also currently working towards her board board, (laughs) a little tongue twister there, board certification in lactation consultant, and she runs the Colic Nurse account on Instagram, so she knows a thing or two. So. Megan breaks down some of the misconceptions and then also about colic, gives some ways to help support the parents uh, through this challenging time. I think if you're in this category or you know someone that is, she offers some great information of how to support new parents. I think you're going to get a lot out of that. Now, before we get to my conversation with Megan, I always like to talk about what's happening at PYC. So we just added some more in-person classes, which is really exciting, and a few more in-person workshops. I think we are 99% back to what we were pre-pandemic with our classes and workshops, which is really exciting, but we're almost back to full capacity of what we did pre-pandemic, but we've added a whole new segment to our studio. We still have our online classes 
every single day, which is just so thrilling to see that we're not just about the four walls of the studio in New York City. We can be connected and create community everywhere in the world, and we have, and it's just so thrilling. And not only do we have our online classes, but we have a very full on-demand library that we're continuously adding to. I just added what I'm calling the Power Pack prenatal yoga package. You can check out, I believe there's nine classes and an audio meditation in this new Power Pack. So, so much happening uh, at our space. All right. Last thing I want to mention is for those that are listening that are a yoga teacher and you really want to dive deeper into how to support the postpartum and prenatal person, check out our teacher training. We've got four prenatal yoga teacher trainings a year, three online, one in person, and one postnatal teacher training a year every late spring. So lots of ways that we can work together and support each other. Okay. We're going to take a super quick break. And when we come back, enjoy my conversation with Megan. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Mosmo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Mosmo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Mosmo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Mosmo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Mosmo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Megan. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about. And the funny thing is people might hear like, you're excited to talk about colic. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've had several friends that had colicky babies. And my mom tells me the story of when my brother, who's older, who's, you know, not a youngin, and she still talks about what it was like to have a colicky baby. I secretly think she hasn't really forgiven him. So I, <laughs> I, I think it's an important topic that a lot of people don't even understand what colic is. So I'm really excited to dive in. But I guess before we get into my questions and the nitty gritty, I'd love to learn a little bit about you and what led you towards nursing and now completing your board certification as a lactation consultant. Yeah. So, um, I did nursing back in college. That's what I got my bachelor's in. And at first actually I wanted to go to med school and my brother who was in med school at the time called me and said, don't do it. It's the worst. (laughs) So that's part of what led me down the nursing route. I think it came from, I love being needed. I love having what someone needs that day and being able to solve their problems. And I love being able to show compassion and use critical thinking at the same time. I think no patient is the same. There's not a magic cure for every condition. And so having to think through critically and see how every patient is different is really fun for me. Mm. So when do you complete your IBCLC? When do you sit for that exam? I'll be sitting for it next fall around this time. So I have one year left um, and it's been good so far. It's been really fun. I do a lot of in-home visits with the the IBCLCs that are mentoring me and it's really fun to see new moms and help them along their journey. I have a couple friends that have taken that route. It is not something to be taken lightly. I have I, I, I think my friend Andrea said it was over a thousand hours of either observation or clinical or something. It just sounded um, 
humongous, like a huge daunting task. (laughs) I know it's a little more intense than I think I was expecting it to be. There's a few different pathways that you can do, um, to get your IBCLC and yeah, it's intense. (laughs) Well, it just makes you even more prepared. So that's wonderful. So, all right, let's dive into talking about colic. So I'd love to hear what is your own story around having a colicky baby? Yeah. So I gave birth to my daughter back in 2021 and I had actually a really good pregnancy things for the most part, you know, it's still pregnancy, but things went really well. I had worked at a children's hospital before this, we were feeling really prepared for this baby. Mm -hmm. And then our baby came (laughs) and she came with might and fury. My goodness. Um, she was so colicky. So she would cry around five to six hours a day, just screaming, howling, especially at night. So she would probably sleep for 45 minutes to an hour at a time and then wake up and scream for another hour or two. And we just dealt with that until around four months old. And I think at first we didn't realize it was colic. We didn't want to call it that. We just thought we were bad at being parents. Mm, (laughs) We thought we were amateurs. And, you know, it was really tricky because no matter what we did, we couldn't fix it for her. We couldn't make it go away. We talked to multiple pediatricians. Um, but it was, it was really hard on both of us. We were so sleep deprived. We were like, why on earth do people have multiple children? Like, this is so hard. And I think it kind of just made me realize that like there, you know, colic happens in about 20% of Mm. children and infants. And I was like, there are 20% of other moms out there that are suffering like I am. And no one has anything to help them with. That is, I, I did not realize it was 20%. That is actually quite huge. As I mentioned, I've had several friends that their babies had colic. And I remember my very first student who, and this is years ago, who showed up and her baby was colic. She also happened to be a single mom. And I just clearly remember her coming in. Her son, no matter what she did, was crying. She was exhausted. Like, it was a different type of exhaustion that I saw on her than I saw on the other moms because it was relentless. And she just remember her crying and I held the baby and she just cried. And the baby finally at one point kind of settled down as I was bouncing on a ball. And I'm like, let me just hold him and you just rest. It was, it was really, it's a special kind of harshness. So I guess we should talk a little bit about, we've mentioned this word colic and colicky baby, but how would you define it? What exactly is it? So colic is officially defined by Wessel's criteria that was designed back in the 1950s, and it's defined by the rule of three. So colic is a baby who's crying for at least three hours a day, at least three days a week for at least three weeks at a time. And I don't love (laughs) this definition because crying is definitely more of a symptom than a diagnosis. And it's really broad in in scope. Uh, You know, there are a thousand different things that can make a baby cry more than normal. Um, And so that's what officially defines it. However, it is only in babies who there's no other medical reason that we can blame it on. They're otherwise healthy babies and they just howl no matter what you do. So the three hours, is that collectively? Is that in a row? Because you might think like three hours collectively in a 24 hour period, that, you know, that's not so you kind of expect it, you know, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, like, or is it three hours consecutive? 
Um, it is collectively. So when we huh. look at studies of normal babies, normal babies cry around two hours a day. And these colicky okay. babies are the three and more. So within that range is, you know, the babies that are crying 15 of those hours a day and things like that, but it's anything three or more. Okay. So I can see where the 20% comes, does come in. So what are some of the misconceptions around colic? I think one of the biggest ones is that colic is caused by gas. Um, colic is actually not caused by gas. We have studies where if we burp baby more or if we give baby gas drops or things like that, it doesn't change the crying time or the symptoms of colic at all. Colicky babies do tend to have more gas because they uh, swallow more air with all of their crying. That makes sense. So I remember like ripe water, all that, that's not going to help. Um, yeah, it can like temporarily maybe give you a few minutes of relief, but long-term it's not going to solve any of the underlying problems of why baby's crying. All right. So can I circle back to your own story? What were some of the things that you tried to do? Um, you think of it, we did it. Uh, I went off of dairy for months. We did gripe water. We did, uh, like Mylocon, those drops. We did like all of the different gripe waters and things like that. We tried every swaddle, every weighted swaddle that people recommended. We tried, you know, driving baby in the car seat and doing the wraps and walking outside and, you know, the anti-colic bottles that they advertise. We fell for every advertisement because we were desperate. There was nothing that was working. We saw multiple pediatricians and at the end of the day, she just still cried. So emotionally, how did you handle that? Not well. Um, <laughs> I think it was just one, you're so sleep deprived on top of everything. You're adjusting to motherhood. And I think for a lot of parents, they hold a lot of dreams and hopes into this postpartum experience. Yeah. And it's like, they're, for me, it's my first baby. And this is what I'm letting define how I am as a mother. And so as a mother, I'm saying, oh my gosh, I have this baby who is crying nonstop. Nothing I do seems to help her. And emotionally, it takes a big toll where you're like, well, I must be bad at motherhood and parenthood in general. It can be really heavy on parents. And to also feel like there's, you know, we have friends that have babies around the same time and you do compare and you say, what am I doing wrong? Why am I so bad at this? What's wrong with my baby? Yeah. That's actually, again, kind of referring back to my mom. She and I talked about that and she felt, and this was... A, a while ago, and it wasn't nearly talked about like this, but she had a friend that had a baby right at the same time, and she saw that very calm baby, and like she and her friend would take walks with the babies in these hawking strollers of the 70s, and her baby was quiet, and my brother was howling, and she, I remember she saying like she just felt so alone that she was doing something wrong, and it, it seems kind of amazing that decades later, it still seems to have the same impact on parents that they feel like, what am I doing wrong? Why don't I have this? So I guess at what point did you realize that your baby was colic instead of just crying? Was it because of the length of time? I think that's part of it. I think we were trying to avoid using that word for as long as we could because we're like, I feel like if we say it, that it's real. Yeah. <laughs> but we had gone to see a pediatrician for one of our checkups, probably around a month old. And my husband was holding our baby constantly, bouncing her during the whole appointment. And about halfway through, our pediatrician stopped us and said, like, do you have to rock her like that all the time? We're like, well, I mean, yeah, if we want her to not 
cry. <laughs> and if you stopped, she immediately would bawl her eyes out. And our pediatrician was like, Oh, I'm kind of nervous that we have a colicky baby on our hands. Like, let's try a couple things. And it just kind of progressively got worse from there. And her crying episodes got worse and worse. And I think that's kind of when we realized that it wasn't normal. We also had my sister-in-law come watch her for like an hour while we went to get ice cream once. And when we came back, she was like, is she ever like happy when she's awake? Oh, <laughs> like, are they supposed to be? <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of an indicator to us that we were dealing with more than what we expected. When I know there is a point that it does change. Is it, is it the kind of the same turning point for all babies? And do we have any idea why it's a certain point? Is it like maturity of their digestive system or any understanding of how it does resolve itself? Yeah. So the timeline, usually babies start with colicky symptoms around two weeks old. It peaks around six to 10 weeks and then resolves by around four to five months of age. Um, there's a few different theories on why this timeline exists and why it magically resolves at this point. But like you said, it's a big part of it is the development of their gut and their gut microbiome. Um, it just takes a few months for that to kind of kick into gear and to to really be able to digest well um, and to develop some of those qualities of bacteria. And so that's part of why it probably takes that time as well. And, you know, there's multiple theories on this, but that's around the time around that four or five month mark is when baby starts having um, melatonin and like in a you know, a cycle with a circadian rhythm at that same time. So while we don't know a ton about it, there are a few things that happen around that four to five month mark that we kind of are wondering if that's playing a role. Interesting. All right. So you said something kind of pulled my ear about the gut health. So is there anything, and I could just be totally shooting from the hip here. Is there anything that someone can do prenatally, like the pregnant person's gut health, like, I don't know, probiotics? Is there anything that can help prevent colic? Is that such a thing? Um, actually there is a study recently that came out that if mom gets on a probiotic containing the strain lactobacillus ruteri in the last four weeks of pregnancy, it reduces the risk of baby having colic, or if they are colicky, they tend to have a milder case of it. So that's really promising for me. It kind of points us in a direction and says, Hey, it's probably something to do with baby's gut. All right. So this again, might, you might not have any answer. So you've had one colicky baby. Are you, if you decide to have more kids, is there, are you nervous about another? Like, is there a chance like once a baby's colicky, the next ones are going to be colicky? Oh, I'm terrified of having a second child. Yes. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> it's too personal, but I can just imagine you're like those four months were a living hell. And so, but is there any relationship between, you know, just these these parents happen to have colicky babies or is it kind of just a, the draw, the, the luck of the draw? Um, genetically, there's not like, it's not like if you have one baby's colicky, you're more likely to have more. Okay. There is a little bit of data showing that first babies, like the firstborn is more likely to have colic and that subsequent ones are less likely. However, it could just be due to reporting that, you know, parents of multiple children who've had a colicky baby before aren't as likely to tell their pediatrician about it or report it. Okay. Um, but one thing that's, if we're thinking about the gut health and gut microbiome in general, having a baby and spending time with a toddler who puts their fingers in everything probably changes the gut microbiome of their mom too. Oh, and so the likelihood that you have the same, um, you know, predisposition to have a colicky baby probably changes after you have one. 
Yay for germs. Yay for preschool germs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so going back a little bit to the idea of like the colic and the gas. So what is the difference? Because as you mentioned, if a baby's crying and crying, they're swallowing air, they're getting more gassy. So what's the difference between colic and gassy and reflux for a baby? Yeah. So colic we usually see is worse in the evening. So you have these witching hours that tend to get worse over the evening. Um, they tend to have a really normal weight gain and then they are generally what we call happy spitters. So when they spit up, this doesn't seem to be something that's triggering this colicky episode. They're smiling. They don't care that they just spit up. Whereas with reflux, and we're talking more about like GERD and like a, a pathological reflux that's causing problems, it tends to be their symptoms are worse right after feeds or when they're laying down flat. They tend to cry when they spit up and they you can see that it physically bothers them that they spit mm. up. And mm-hmm. occasionally they have worse weight gain because they're losing more fluid and they're not keeping it down. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So I think that listeners are probably wanting to know how, if they have a colicky baby to reduce crying, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about ways to reduce crying time for babies and probably crying time for parents. (laughs) (laughs) Quick break. We'll be right back. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Okay, we are back. So uh, again, my I felt very fortunate my son was not colicky, but I do remember a very clear time where he was like three weeks old and he was, it was like well into the afternoon. He would not stop crying. I ran through my bag of tricks and as he didn't stop crying, I just broke down and cried. And I could imagine that that is not unlike, I mean, and then thinking about this day after day. So what are some ways to help reduce crying time for the baby that can then also help the emotional and mental standpoint of the parent? So I think the first thing is cover your basics, which I'm I'm sure every parent of a colicky baby has done at this point, but making sure that baby is well-fed, that they're not hungry or underfed and mad because they haven't had enough to eat, making sure that they're not overtired and that's part of why they're upset. Um, And, you know, you kind of do this rule out where you make sure there's nothing else going on with, you know, temperature or their diaper change and things like that. You cover your bases. And then usually after that is when you get into more of the tips and tricks that a lot of people try with like, you know, putting the car seat on the dryer and letting Mm -hmm. that like bounce baby or baby wearing, taking baby outside, things like that. Um, for us, one of the things 
one of the few things that worked was constant bouncing, which when you're postpartum, when you're exhausted can be really tiring, but we really liked having a yoga ball and holding Mm -hmm. baby while we sat on the yoga ball and bouncing with that, that really saved our backs. Um, especially at two in the morning when you don't necessarily want to walk two miles in your kitchen and in your living room, (laughs) that was really helpful. And then as well, um, water, water tends to work really well to kind of startle baby out of what's going on. So doing warm water on the back of their head, doing a bath, things like that can be really helpful. What about the different type of swings and bouncers? There's one that I saw it. It looks like kind of like a little half egg and it can move the baby in like, not just a swing, but like in circles and little figure eights. I think it's got like the mama roo. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The mama roo. So, um, I mean, if you have it and it works for you by all means go for it. Um, really you just have to find what works for you for our baby swings, bouncers, things like that. Never did the trick for us. It had to be like pretty, you know, she had to be close and tight to us. Um, I used the mama rule a lot when we, when I worked at the children's hospital and a lot of babies found that really comforting. Um, so if it works for you, great. (laughs) But it sounds like there's really no quote unquote cure except time. Is that correct? Yeah, there is no magic cure. So if someone's saying that, you know, buy this one product and this will magically cure your colic, that's a red you know, red flag. Okay. All right. So let's switch gears. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but let's really talk about the emotional psychological impact of having a colicky baby. So you have your experience, um, from having this, from having a colicky baby. I'm sure you've worked with parents. How does the having a colicky baby impact the whole family? Yes. Um, parents of colicky babies are much more likely to have problems with postpartum depression. Both mom and dad can have this. And so you're much more likely to suffer from that and need a lot more support mentally and emotionally as you transition into parenthood. So what are some ways to get that support? Great question. Um, I think first and foremost is seeing your OBGYN or certified nurse midwife, seeing your provider and being evaluated for it. A lot of places will do what's called the Edinburgh scale where Mm -hmm. they kind of, you fill out a survey and um, it kind of evaluates your risk for postpartum depression, anxiety, perinatal mood disorders, and kind of lets your provider know how intense of help or treatment you need to be getting. I think a lot of parents want to be able to deal with this on their own and they feel like they're a bad parent if they need extra help. But the reality is if you can make your postpartum experience a little smoother and get the support that you need so that you can cope, your your life will just be so much easier. Yeah, think about that story you said of just going out for that one hour of ice cream. I can imagine the the ease that you probably felt for that one hour and then to come back and, be, and hear that your baby cried the whole time probably was a little deflating. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's really important that parents get at least, and this sounds so little, but just minimum one hour a week where they are outside of the house and cannot hear baby crying and they're not their sole sole caregiver. That is so important. And then getting outside for at least 15 minutes a day is really vital. But at the end of the day, you a lot of parents will need more support than this, whether that's medications and there are so many um you know, medications for postpartum depression that are actually breastfeeding friendly or whether that's therapy. There are multiple therapy groups that actually specialize in postpartum and perinatal mood disorders. So getting help from something like that can really give you the support you need to get through this tough time. Are there any that you know of, maybe this should be something like 
colicky baby support groups so that, because I know we have a support group because I imagine being that parent of the colicky baby and you're bouncing on the ball and you're trying to get everything calm and you're trying to relate to the other parents that are just like their babies are cooing or maybe feeding or maybe a little cry and feeling disconnected from them. Yeah. What this is what's so sad about colic is that the parents of colicky babies are at home suffering. <laughs> and I remember when I was, you know, probably like six weeks postpartum, I'm nap trapped. My baby's on my chest sleeping. I'm trying not to wake her up and I'm so tired. And I remember looking like Google searching, you know, colic help, colic support groups. I looked on Instagram, like there's gotta be someone called the colic nurse that has, you know, all the answers to all of my problems. And there was nothing, not a thing. And I was like, well, gosh, dang it. Like I'm going to make one then because these parents need support and help. And so once my baby was sleeping a little better, once we were out of that colicky phase and I had you know, the mental capacity to think straight. I, that's why I started my, my Instagram, the colic nurse and kind of got things moving there to create that support, um, group. Do you find that the, not just the support people in the support group, but from yourself, how is it, if somebody has to return to work, how are you finding that people need to take more extended leave? Cause again, you were a nurse. So like I'm thinking you have to be clear headed. So how did that either impact you or have you seen that impact other people? Should they have to go back to work? Um, it can be really stressful, especially if you're leaving your crying baby with another caregiver, you know, how intense and you know, high maintenance your baby is, that can be really hard to walk away from and hope that everything goes well. Because I mean, you're trying everything you can think of and your caregiver that you're leaving them with probably doesn't know your baby as well as you do. That can be really stressful. I remember going back to work and it actually felt like a relief to go work in a busy ER. That felt more relaxing than being at home with my baby. And I only, you know, worked once a week or something like that, but it actually was really helpful to go outside of the home for a little bit. Yeah, no, I admit there's, I mean, this is not related to colic, but I've had like, there's certain mornings in my house that are chaotic with my kids and, and I get to work into the city and go into the city twice a week. And there's times I've left. I'm like, okay, see ya. <laughs> Good luck with that. I can imagine it feeling the same way. <laughs> it's, it's so true. You just really get burnt out. And, you know, as a parent, you're, you try to be so compassionate and so, so involved and so there for your child. And sometimes you really just need a break more than anything else. And your baby's going to be okay. They're crying whether you're there or not. So, (laughs) so what would you say to the parent that was scrolling through, saw this episode, has a colicky baby? What would you say to them right now about helping them get to the other side of this? I think first and foremost is getting that support. So if you realize your baby has colic, this should be like, Oh, all hands on deck. Like my neighbors are getting involved. My mother-in-law is getting involved. Like every friend we have is now going to start signing up for shifts to come help me. <laughs> like it really does, does need to be, you recruit the troops. They need to come over. So when people offer help, instead of saying like, Oh yeah, thanks so much. You say, great. Awesome. Let's have you take a shift tonight or next week at Tuesday night. And you're going to come over and help me all night. And you really like, it's so hard to accept that help, but you really have to because mentally you just cannot handle this by yourself. Even two people cannot handle this by themselves for a really colicky baby. So all hands on deck. Um, second, I would say, go get that support help from, um, your care provider. So getting into a therapy session, I really like, there's a clinic called the healing group that does online, like postpartum support groups with 
five, usually it's like five moms and they do multiple sessions every month. But I think getting into something like that, where you can work through this, you know, motherhood journey, that's not going the way you think it should be going and talk through that would be really important. And then there are also things that you can do to help baby along the way with this. So we have a few studies showing that if you get baby on probiotics containing bifidobacterium or lactobacillus ruteri, and they're on those for 21 days, by the end of those 21 days, they actually have significantly less crying time than if you didn't do the probiotic. Mm. So that's really important. And then we have a study, and I always hesitate to share this study because I don't want moms to do this on their own. But if mom goes on a really low allergen diet, if they're breastfeeding, this reduces the likelihood or reduces the symptoms of colic as well. Or if they're formula feeding, switching to a um, heavily hydrolyzed formula is really helpful for baby. So everything kind of points to the gut and that they're having issues with their gut, but putting those few interventions in there to kind of help baby out along the way can be really helpful. Do you know anything about, and I'm totally not sure if this is even valid for this, but um, cranial sacral for the baby? Um, yes. So cranial psychotherapy and chiropractics, I would say they don't do any harm for baby, but we have very few studies showing that they do anything for colicky symptoms. And you'll see everywhere advertised that it's the magic cure for, um, colic and for fussy babies. At the end of the day, it's not doing anything bad. We know that baby massage helps with, um, colicky symptoms. If you're doing baby massage between episodes, it can kind of help reduce that crying time. So I think anything that's relaxing for you and baby, great. But if you don't have the funds to do something like that, it's okay. It's not going to make or break your experience. Yeah. And baby massage, you can, you know, get it. Like we have a, a video on our, on our on demand. I think it's like 20 or $30 and you have it for several months. So like you can keep going back to that. So that's much cheaper than, you know, going right. to the chiropractor or cranial sacral. But can I circle back to the diet? So you're saying that it may be the parent looking at their diet. Would you recommend them working with the lactation consultant and to one by one pull out things from their diet? It's not a bad idea if baby's especially showing some of those signs of an allergy or an intolerance. So if baby has mucus or blood in their stool, one, go see your pediatrician. But those are kind of pointing more toward that like cow's milk protein intolerance, dairy, soy, things like that to work through. And then as well, baby just can sometimes have a hard time adjusting to all these new foods. They haven't had to use their gut before. And Mm -hmm. so working with an IDCLC um, kind of monitoring the different things that are affecting baby, keeping a, a log like that can be really helpful. Yeah. Cause I can imagine someone hearing that and be like, okay, all at once it's all gone, yeah. but then they may not know what could stay and what can't. And then they're just having steamed broccoli or something. I right. I would never recommend like suddenly changing your diet drastically without consulting your pediatrician or an IBCLC or anything like that. So definitely do that with a professional on board with you because yeah. there's so many nutrients that you need as you're recovering from birth and as you're breastfeeding as well. Yeah. No, this has been super helpful. Okay. We're going to take another break. When we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? Okay. We'll be right back. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Okay, we are back. So this can be 
anything that you want to share with new and expectant parents? What is your final tip or piece of advice? I think the biggest thing is to realize that it's not your fault. It's, Mm. you know, you didn't do something wrong to make yourself have a colicky baby. And just because you have a baby who's having a really hard time and you can't solve it, it does not mean that your parenthood experience will be defined by these four months. Mm. Um, I think this was really hard for me to understand, especially as a first time mom. I was like, well, this is what motherhood looks like. This is, you know, in my tunnel vision of the time. I thought this is what motherhood will be forever. I am apparently bad at it. My baby hates me and, you know, we're just going to suffer for the next 18 years. But the reality is baby grows out of this and then your motherhood experience or your parenthood experience can be defined by so many other things. And like, just because it feels like you're not good at parenthood at this moment does not mean that long-term you're a bad parent. I think that's so important to hold on to and realize that so many cute, fun times are coming once this phase is over. Yeah. And just kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel that it is not forever. Your baby's gut will mature and it's a phase that you can happily look at in the the rear view (laughs) mirror and be like, that is done. Oh, this is great. So where can people find your work? So I'm on Instagram at the colic nurse. That's where most of my, I do lots of reels. there talking about, you know, the gut microbiome and, and different tips that we talked about today. And then as well, I'll be having an ebook called the colic handbook coming out in December this year. Oh, that's um, great. So that's where you can look for me. Wonderful. Thank you, Megan. This was great. I think you gave a lot of parents some support and those that are pregnant that might be afraid their baby's colic, knowing that they've got ways to work through this. So thank you for your wisdom. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.